Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have Eden Kift with me. Eden is the SA Head of Business Solutions at Portfolio Metrics, who is also a very proud sponsor of the show. Eden, it's wonderful to be with you in person, and we also have a beer to celebrate the show. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Louis. It's a real honor and a privilege to be here. Um, having watched every or listened to every one of your podcasts uh, so far, you have a sterling lineup of uh, past guests. So as I said, it's a, it's a great honor to be uh, counted among them. Well, maybe we continue with that, that success. Eden, uh, I want to start with a secret. And for those knowing you would probably never guess that you just turned 50. Um, well, actually, I'm 51, so um, I'm one of the, as we joke, old dogs in the industry. Um, I've been in the industry for 27 years, and uh, in fact, I'm the oldest employee at Portfolio Metrics in South Africa, which I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that comes with a lot of wisdom. Yeah, I suppose you can call it that. <laughs> I want to rewind yes. 27 years ago mm. when you joined this profession yes. that we now like to call it of financial planning yeah. straight out of varsity yeah. uh, or university. Tell us a little bit more, how was financial planning back in South Africa 27 years ago? Sure, Lee. So um, it were interesting times. And, and I think maybe at the outset, um, the results of what was going on in, in, I would say, around 94, 95 weren't all bad, but it was quite an interesting time because I started out in sales and sales was really a case of attending sales 101 where i remember one course i had an ex air traffic controller sitting to one side of me and an ex teacher to the other side um it was just a very interesting mix and i was one of the youngest people in the sales training 101 and effectively what happened was you spent 10 days being taught how to sell, some very valuable information and advice as well, but it was all about sales, go out and sell a product. Um, and look, 
as a 24-year-old, um, I could possibly sell, but I certainly, in hindsight, know that I didn't have enough experience and enough knowledge to truly, I suppose, deliver value to people. I could sell the products, but I didn't really comprehend that aspect that required you to understand what advice was all about as opposed to just, you know, selling a product. I suppose I could have been selling washing machines or vacuum cleaners. In fact, sorry, Louis, I think the one sort of consequence of that was that, um, you know, I ended up selling a 27-year endowment to someone in their 20s because that would derive the maximum amount of commission for me because it was commission-driven and it was, I suppose, determined or your success was determined by how much commission you generated and how many interestingly lives you sold not how much advice you gave or how much uh, valuable advice but you were measured on the number of lives you sold so um, yeah that was a it was my world but uh, you know in hindsight um, things have have moved on you know significantly it's wonderful that, you know, within this profession, there's actually so many different fields that you can go into. Correct. So my understanding is that, you know, you spent 18 months at this, uh, this institution. Yes. And you decided to kind of segue into something else. Yeah. Look, so I think, I think I struggled with the approach, uh, very much. And it led me to then, you know, look for other avenues that I suppose would be more enjoyable because it, it really wasn't that enjoyable for me. And I ended up staying with uh, this institution, but working in their marketing department. So I was there to s- support advisors who were selling the, the products. Maybe I felt that was more, uh, you know, appropriate and relevant. Um, and then, you know, an opportunity arose with an investment management firm. Um, so I, I left the the big insurer and, and joined Marriott, uh, which was which was also quite an interesting journey, um, as it was a relatively small firm. Uh, but I also learned, uh, you know, quite a bit there. Um, so yeah, that was that was the next step in my career. And so with these institutions, you've mm-hmm. been working with financial planners, and what what would you work on? kind of with them, you know, would it be business development and those kind of things? Yeah, so I think that, you know, initially it was very much about sales. You were driven or sorry, you were measured by, you know, achieving sales targets, whether you were a broker consultant or whether you were an agent or whether you're an investment consultant, you needed to gather product or asset sales. I think my angle which I learned very quickly was was to to deviate slightly from a direct sale. I tended to want to want to help the advisor be better at what they were doing, you know, help them be more efficient in terms of what they were doing. So yes, there had to be a, a sales angle to it because I suppose I had to, you know, earn a salary. But but my objective was to be more than just someone in the advisor or the broker's office selling them you know, our wares. I wanted them to see value in engaging with me. That's such a great comment, Eddie, because what I'm hearing is that, you know, you're adding value to their lives first and then saying, you know, let's build a relationship and maybe even at some point then ask for business or was it, you know, more downplayed than that? No, look, you know, my approach was very much around, well, Mr. or Mrs. Advisor, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to do for your clients? Because, you know, I felt that if I had the tools in my toolkit, I could say, well, look, if you're trying to achieve that, I can assist you. 
if you're trying trying to achieve something else that I can't support, then I've got to be honest with you and say, look, I'm not going to force a sale purely for my own benefit. I've got to be honest and say, you know, maybe you need to be dealing with someone else or looking at someone else for a solution. Eden, over the last 20 mm. plus mm. years, have you seen financial planners shift and have you have you seen that request, you know, this is what I'm trying to deliver to my clients? Has that changed at all? I think it has. And I think as much as the institutions have been sales driven, which has resulted in advisors focusing on the sale. And again, you know, I'm not saying there were advisors in the sales environment 15, 20 years ago that weren't doing sterling work. I know many, many good advisors, but I think the approach has changed. It's about it's more directly and openly about how does my advice as an advisor, how is it applicable to a client or a family and how does it benefit the family? So, so it's moved very much from a sales environment to a solution environment. And sometimes a product is a solution or very often a product is a solution, but it's not the primary driver. It's about trying to solve problems, solve issues, provide comfort. So you get to a mix of product as well as advice. And something that has become more and more prevalent is this whole coaching thing. And I don't think clients want to feel that they're being coached, but I think there is a very subtle way in which advisors and very successful advisors are able to coach clients and either change behavior or allow for behavior so that it does not derail plans and strategies that have been put in place. So, yeah, I think it's a very, there's been a very obvious change and you see that, look, and perhaps the, I grew up in an area, in, a, in an era, we didn't have cell phones, we had rate books, not computers when we went out. So I think the environment and technology has also assisted in this evolution of the way advice is delivered and how it is delivered. Okay, so almost the financial plan is adapting Correct. to the way advice is being delivered. Correct. And you know, what I'm guessing also is the, the six-step financial planning process, some might call it a different way of selling financial solutions with you know, determining what the need is, uh, creating a proposal, then servicing that. Correct. I saw on LinkedIn yesterday, someone said no client wants to be fact-finded or wants no. to be uh, information gathered. Correct. And sometimes, you know, we get, we lose sight of, the actual client and we focus so much on their money. I want to talk a little bit about this coaching element that mm. you're bringing up. It's mm. been a theme for a lot of the guests on the podcast mm. that have had experience with coaching. What have you seen with the financial planners that you're working with now? Is there a marked change in the way they interact with their clients post coach training? I think so. And, you know, look, I don't sit in any of the meetings with the end investor, but I, you know, mostly I have on isolated occasions been asked to sit in a, in a client engagement, but my sense is, and, and based on the engagements that I have with advisors, that, that things have changed. I think that, you know, clients feel there's more of a two-way relationship between the advisor and themselves, um, a more trusting type relationship um, than an era where it was very much, hi, I've come to sell you something and now I've got to try and convince you as an investor or as a client why you need this. So 
look, we're very fortunate um, at Portfolio Metrics in that we deal with, I mean, I would go as far as to say world-class financial planning businesses. So I have a very, probably, you know, and I say it with respect, maybe a narrow view of the global advice profession and industry, but the quality of advisors that we count as clients is is exceptional. And, you know, they all spend an immense amount of time trying to understand their clients, understand what clients are trying to achieve, the transitions they're going through in life. So that coaching element, and we, we're very aware of clients who are either undergoing or have undergone formal coaching at various levels to try and improve the way they, you know, engage with their clients. Eden, I want to ask you a little bit more of a personal Hmm. question. What has working with a financial planner meant for for your financial life? Because I know that, you know, you deal with a financial planner um, and you often rave about their service without having to name names. You can uh, you can sure. share with us what it means working with a financial planner. So I think there are two things. Um, so I'm a CFP and, you know, I, look, I'm not a practicing financial advisor. So I can, you know, I'm very happy to admit that, you know, from a, from a, a technical knowledge perspective, I am behind the curve because I don't do that every day as, as you know, the advisors that, uh, you know, like yourselves would do. But the issue was for me that I was doing my own thing because I could do this. And it dawned on me that financial planning, the entirety of it is far more complex than a simple preservation fund or a saving for retirement. The fact that there are so many elements at play, you know, have you got a valid will? Have you looked at your estate duty? And, you know, I I looked at all of this and I said that I need to actually get an expert whose job it is every single day of his or her life to look at these things and stay abreast of these things. I was very fortunate in that there's a firm in Cape Town that I had as a client um, and I watched them evolve and grow and it made sense for me to approach them and say, look, you know, would you take me on as a client? It's not that I have millions and millions to invest, but I'd, I'd really value, you know, your input. A little aside to that, uh, my wife is in the financial services industry as well and I said to her one day, come along and she's you know, also quite knowledgeable in a range of areas. And she may have been a bit skeptical initially, but when we walked out of our first meeting together, and I'd been a client of this advice firm for a while, she said that was probably the best hour and a half she had spent in talking about her personal finances. So that sort of was a bit of an aha moment. And I shared it with the advisor, who was obviously, you know, quite grateful. But I think the other element that is worth mentioning is that I walked out of a meeting subsequent to that with the advisor and I said, you know what, I think I finally understand what your value proposition is. And he looked at me and I said, you provide peace of mind. I have the utmost confidence in your team and your capabilities. And I have the utmost confidence that my affairs are in order for any planned or unplanned transition. That's the value that you as a financial advisor bring to my life. So it it crystallized the value of advice for me. I always believed in it, but but having gone through the experience myself and coming to that realization, and I think that's quite an important thing to bear in mind. Yes, we all have or we may as advisors be able to put up our value proposition on a website or in a document. But I think when a client is able to 
understand without the advisor telling the client what the value proposition is and what the value add is. Yeah, look, I, all things being equal, I ain't going anywhere else, you know, in terms of a financial advisor. And I unashamedly said I have referred many, many people um, to this particular firm and others because I really believe in the value of advice. That's wonderful, that like intangible yeah. peace of mind. And, you know, I think it ties so nicely with the report that Portfolio Metrics has put out on the value of mm. advice. Mm. Like, how do those two hold hands? What are the things that surprised you from the value of advice paper? And how does it relate to your experience dealing with a financial planner? So I think I think the one thing that comes up quite often is, am I as an investor or a client prepared to pay for advice? So there's mm. this, there's this, I suppose gap between what the general community of um, investors and clients out there, what, what their perception is of advice and the perception of costs related to that advice. So I think that's, that's the, the one side of things. Advisors naturally feel quite passionately about the value they can add. And I think it's trying to connect those dots. And what we did um, with this value of advice white paper is to try and quantify what the value of advice is. Now, there are all kinds of studies um, that, that try and pin it to a number. You know, it adds 3% or, you know, alpha to returns. And, you know, there are a number of those, and I'm sure you've read many of them. So I think there was nothing that really surprised me. I just think it was a really well put together document. Uh, the credit goes to our MD in the UK who, who, who drove that whole process. And I think it is a really nice summary of, and, and it's, it's, I suppose, something that advisors can look at and say, well, look, he has an independent assessment of what the value of advice is, read this because perhaps as a financial advisor, you, Mr. or Mrs. Client, will see something of this in what I'm trying to do as an advisor. So it didn't really surprise me. I think it's just trying to connect the desire to provide sound financial advice with a willingness to pay for that advice. So first price is experience this financial planning. But if you can't experience, at least here's a document amongst Correct. others <laughs> that, that can showcase the value that Correct. an advisor is And doing. there are many others, you know, um, there, there are a number of firms that have been doing this, um, you know, so, and, you know, I, I can quite confidently say through what I've read and what I've ex experienced, there is value in advice. Do you think everyone should have a financial planner? Um, look, I think their personal preferences, and I, and I suppose it also depends on where you are in life. So if I were 20, many years ago, single, um, my, I suppose, obligations would be different. My requirements would be different to being a father who's married, kids, closer to retirement. Um, hopefully that's not going to happen too soon. But, but I, so I think, I think engaging with an advisor fr from as early as possible in one's, I don't know, I don't want to say career because you could, you know, engage with an advisor, you know, pre-career, but I think it's worth engaging with an advisor. I think there is a lot one could possibly do yourself when things are less complex. But I also believe that advisors are willing to engage with 
quite a cross section of potential clients. And, you know, within a particular service proposition, an advisor could most certainly cater for a younger, maybe less complicated client. It doesn't have to be younger and less complicated. You could be 60 and uncomplicated. But I certainly believe that an advisor is a worthwhile sounding board. So perhaps someone goes to an advisor for the advice and, and the the client then says, fantastic, thank you. I'm going to take this advice away and I'm going to implement it myself. But that is then for the advisor to decide whether they have a proposition that can cater for that approach or whether they would prefer that that client go elsewhere. So, sorry, that's quite a long-winded answer, but I, I definitely think that everyone should engage with an advisor at least initially anyway, then make up their minds. What I'm hearing is that the relationship almost trumps you know, having a financial planner on retainer or paying them a monthly fee or assets on the management. And I've had this discussion with a few people where if we look at the field of therapy, the number one predictor of success was the relationship yes. with the therapist. And I think we see the same thing with financial planning, that if your relationship with your financial planner or your advisor is solid, then the outcomes would probably be in your favor as well. Correct. I mean, I, I could share with you a, a sort of a related story is um, when in my time when I was with Axis, we had a client in Durban and, um, and when I say a client, an advisory client, advisory firm, and she was new to, to what we were doing and she said, would you come along to a, a client meeting with me? And I said, absolutely. In fact, the client is a pharmacist and he's just down the road. And by then we had laptops, so I was on technology and um, we, we had captured certain information about the client, him and his wife, and he had children that lived outside of South Africa. And in discussions with this couple, all, well, it was, in fact, it was the husband initially, you know, he said to me, all I'm really worried about is can I visit my children once a year? So we explored that a little bit further with him and I got an understanding of what the requirements would be. And I sat there with the computer program in front of me, which sometimes is a good thing, sometimes it's not. And we keyed in certain particulars and I said, I've got a surprise for you. You can go and visit your kids, not once a year, twice a year. The tears came out of the corner of his eyes. He called his wife and he said, come listen to this. We can go and visit our kids twice a year. Now, in his head, he, he didn't want to spend money. He was an incredibly hard worker, but he wanted to protect his wealth. He didn't want to spend it. But the fact that with, I suppose, a little bit of help from me, this advisor and I were able to say to him, you can get more than what you really wanted. That to me was just such an aha moment. And I think that, I suppose, just confirms that dealing with an advisor being that sounding board, having that relationship, um, as you talk, it's about the relationship. And it doesn't mean that you have to ask the advisor whether you can spend your own money. Although I know there are clients that do that. Can I buy a car? Uh, can I go overseas on holiday? So relationship is key to the, the, the advice process. Sometimes we just need someone to give us permission. Yeah. Uh, and we see that a lot in clients getting yeah. into the decumulation, decumulation yeah. phase. Yeah. You know, I've worked my whole career to save money. Sure. Can I take some of this money? Is this my money? Is it okay to take that money? Um, and I think what you mentioned also is the coaching elements yes. are helping with these type of conversations. Correct. 
but it's you've been having these conversations for for a really long time and yes. helping financial planners to facilitate those conversations yeah and i think i think as i said louis it's about that shift that has happened i suppose for me in nearly three decades which is you know quite a quite something is that is that the for me it's about the shift i've seen in advisors and you know again i think that advisors were often uh, placed in positions where they they had to conform to certain behavior and i said the results weren't necessarily all bad but there was a type of behavior whereas the world has evolved and advisors have gone on that journey and many of them are going on that journey to try and look at it from I almost want to say, you know, a completely different angle where they're saying, right, let me understand my client. Let's park the product. Let's park all that other stuff. Let's understand what this client, the family are trying to achieve. What what are their blind spots? Um, try and extricate that from, from deep inside the psyche somewhere and say, okay, let's build a plan that works for you. Let's not just dump a product in there. Absolutely. Eden, you're a big proponent mm. of the client advisory panel. Mm. Tell us a little bit about what that is and how financial planners should be using that in their sure. business. So, so one thing that I've learned and something that I've also been part of is, and, and something that I'm very, very passionate about, is the need for advisors to obtain feedback from their clients. It's as simple as that. And, you know, as an advisor, and then again, all the successful advisors out there who've built successful businesses um, have have achieved so much. And many of them have achieved that by doing what they think is appropriate and correct. Others have done it by saying, well, look, let me take my clients on this journey. So asking clients informally or formally for feedback, you know, what's working for you? What isn't about the relationship? What feedback do you have? And so an informal post-meeting, you know, chat and say, you know, is this working for you? Is the relationship working? That's one bit of feedback. You can then move on to, and I know an advisor who had a form in the reception, you know, said, look, when you're done, please fill this in and, you know, hand it in. We just want to try and improve our service. What I did manage to do um, with a number of advisors was build more formal surveys, which would then go out to their client base with very specific questions around a number of issues. In two or three instances, I'm convinced, based on the feedback, um, at three advisory firms to host what I have, you know, read about in terms of client advisory boards or client advisory panels. So, in short, what that really is is an independently facilitated, which is what I did, advisory panel in which. Uh, the advisor or a number of advisors would invite 8 to 10 to 12 of a, let's call it the A-segment clients, to sit around a boardroom table. And what the objective there was, was to get feedback both from them, but also to reflect on a survey that had been done previously. The other important thing was was to try and get to a advisory board that was very diverse in terms of, you know, you had an entrepreneur and you had someone being corporate, you had a young person, you had a widow, you know, so it was quite a mix because it brought different views to the table. And, you know, the, in one instance, uh, we followed these up and we suggested to the advisory firm, well, you know, do finger snacks and a glass of wine or let's go and have a meal with these clients. 
One firm that I did it for, um, a very astute businessman was part of this panel. He came to me and he said, in all, and I reckon he was probably in his 60s, in all his years of business, he had never, ever had an experience like that. It was broader than financial advice, but having someone that he has a relationship with asking for feedback on how they could improve, how they could be better. And I think the key for me in each instance that we did this, I had to really convince the advisor and the advisory firm to go ahead with it. It was almost as if the advisor felt, well, what if the feedback is negative? What if I get, you know, fingers pointed at me for things I've got wrong? And clearly the outcome was off the charts in terms of positive. Um, so, you know, look, I'm sure there are other advisors that are doing it, but having been part of it and seen firsthand what it meant to, firstly, the, the clients actually, and then post that how advisory firms had adjusted their strategy based on feedback from their clients. And then this theme of investing in your relationships, you know, how you've invested in your client mm. relationships, how your clients have invested in their mm. on-client relationships, that seems to be coming through, through the training, through yeah. the communication. I'm wondering through these advisory panels, you know, you're saying that mm. it's a it's a quite a diverse group. How do you see that information being implemented and then being feed, fed back to the client? Because I would imagine there's a part of accountability to say, Correct. we've now told you, uh, yeah. firm yeah. XYZ, that, this is what we want implemented. How do you manage that component post the meeting? So I think there are two things. So first of all, transparency is key. If I'm going to, as an advisor, ask you as a client to give me feedback, I would hope you're going to expect or that you would be expecting some sort of feedback about what I have said and where I fit into everyone else's feedback. So surveys, client advisory panels, that was part of the process. And I said, when, for example, the survey is done, you say, we sent this out to a thousand people, 600 or 400 responded. And I must admit, we got, when I say we, when I was part of the process, we got very, very high response rates um, for a range of reasons. But the key was then to feed that back to the client base. So you have to tell your clients where you scored higher, where you scored you know, perhaps a bit lower and that you're working on something. Similarly, the advisory panel post that and you could do it all in one. You could have the survey results, move on to the advisory panel and then share all that information with um, the entire client base. And I think the important thing to bear in mind is that if, you know, your clients say, well, we want X or Y. It doesn't mean you have to deliver it. You could say, look, we are not going that route for these reasons. We, we either don't have the expertise. We don't have the finances at the moment, but it's in our memory bank. That's something that will come. We're a growing business. Or say, look, this is the reason why we would never go that route. So I think feedback is important. But I also think advisors shouldn't be fearful that they then have to deliver on absolutely everything. And I think constant feedback is also important. So it's not just that one off. It's say six months later to the client base. We have tackled these three projects. Those two have been implemented. This one is slightly behind or expect that to be implemented by then. Please continue giving us feedback. Um, it's, it's probably some of the easiest 
but most valuable advice any wherever you are i mean we do that with our clients we ask them for feedback we ask them to engage with us help us evolve um, and i think clients clients have so much they can give back to to their advisory firms i don't want to focus a little bit mm. on allocating time to work in your business mm. and not just on your business you know because a lot of what you're saying is that focusing time and investing in the relationship but also thinking of the bigger picture yeah. you know and i would imagine that your business have to run fairly efficient to get to a point where you have free time and not just running around keeping the doors open tell us a little bit about the things that you're seeing in practices at the moment where people are making their businesses highly efficient what are the things that are surprising you or what are you picking up so i think i think the first thing um is that there is an immense burden on advisors just to open a door every morning so you know compliance the regulation so that's become more burdensome so the amount of time advisors are able to spend with their clients has reduced now regulation is there firstly i suppose to provide guidance and to protect investors i think that the majority of advisors by default do the right thing so they're compliant anyway but that doesn't absolve them from conforming so compliance and the compliance burden takes up a lot of time so you say well that's a meaningful chunk of my day or my week or my month now i've got to find time to improve my business oh, and by the way i've got these clients to service so it's it's a very very difficult thing to get the balance right but i think having dedicated time um to spend in each of those areas and again you know you could have a firm that is a one man or one lady show and that individual has to do everything or outsource but that comes as a cost at a cost so there's no perfect answer to that question i think what it does require is some structure and what i've seen some advisors do say well look tuesday mornings wednesday mornings and thursday mornings those are booked out for client engagements my monday is to work on my business my friday is you know my compliance or my regulatory day Golf. you know so look that's just a thumb suck in terms of time um the point is that seeing clients and looking after clients that's what pays the bills so it's it's very business specific but i what has obviously accelerated significantly is the impact that technology is having on businesses so advisors are embracing technology more and more and i think as much as covid has accelerated um the adoption of technology and the expansion of what is out there there's still a long way we can go um in terms of incorporating technology efficiently across the board the big word is integration what's the most frustrating thing i've got to capture something two or three or four times so integration is key and i think related to that is is you know scaling a business without adding staff so so driving efficiency within a business uh, through technology and um using tools and again the the individuals out there who have got it right using your community to understand what has worked what hasn't worked those are the things that will i suppose provide that that step up in terms of juggling the time between compliance seeing clients and then working you know in the business what i'm hearing is that 
you know, this is, you are a business owner first because as a financial planner, once you start your own practice or if you start your own practice, all of a sudden now you're wearing two hats and this idea of time blocking mm. um, makes so much sense saying, I'm going to allocate these pieces of yeah. time to client servicing, this to compliance. Have you seen that work quite successfully in the practices? Yeah, so look, everyone's different. And some people prefer to be a bit more fluid. Some people prefer to be very structured. That's why you know, you're not going to get one size or one approach that fits all. Um, I think that the key here is, is that there is dedicated time at some point. And you know, what's the easiest thing? Sure, you can, you can put a diary entry, you can cancel that, you can pull it up. But you know, having a quarterly half day to think and work on the business, you know, it may seem insignificant, but that's better than not having it at all. So there's definitely not a single approach. I think the, th- the key point for me is that advisors and their staff need to focus on a particular aspect when they in that space. So for example, you know, if I were your client and you busy analyzing my situation and there's a knock at the door and someone is there with the delivery or, you know, your compliance person's walking in. So I don't know it, but I'm the client who's having his or her situation analyzed while you're dealing with something else. So you're distracted. And I think, you know, what financial advisors do is is so important that any distraction to when you're actually spending time looking at a client's situation affairs is going to negatively impact that particular client's plan or or the next recommendation, potentially anyway. Yeah, this concept of kind of deep work and focus and saying, this is really important stuff. You know, as a practicing financial planner, I completely relate to that because there's so many distractions and you're being pulled. And we see that this analysis work happens in pieces because you tend to be waiting for another piece of information. You do something and then you carry on. It reminds me almost of a production line where in theory, everything would just run smoothly. But in reality, there's all these pieces moving around. Now, I know portfolio metrics allows you to uh, outsource Mm. some of the investment decision making, but your business also offers a little bit more than that. Can you maybe just explain a little bit what are the other services that portfolio metrics offer to their clients? Yeah, so Louis, I think what, I mean, primarily what we're there to do is connect expert financial advice with this precision investment management and technology is a big enabler now so i've been with portfolio metrics since early 2015 and and our proposition has has evolved significantly it was i suppose in as much as it was quite flexible there there was a, a fairly rigid way in which advisors engaged with us So that has definitely evolved. We have a far broader way of engaging with advisors that cater for their own, I suppose, preferences. But our primary objective is to enable advisors to be better at what they do. And that's the dispensing of advice. But the key element, as you mentioned, is investment management. We have a global investment team and... uh, they, their primary function is to do asset allocation and to select managers. And in that, in so doing, we spoke about efficiency earlier. If an advisor can outsource that and you think about how much time that may free up to do the other things. So 
as much as we're about advice and investment management, we're about efficiency as well. And, and we certainly won't be the answer to, for everyone. Um, and in fact, we prefer fewer, deeper, meaningful relationships. You know, take a look at us, kick the tires and decide whether what we offer is what will improve your situation, make you more efficient, place your clients in better position. And uh, yeah, we've got competitors that, that do the same. But I suppose there, there are a number of other aspects that, that you need to evaluate um, in terms of dealing with any particular, let's call it provider. It strikes me that often financial planners think that their value add is about selecting a fund or creating a better investment portfolio. But your experience with a financial planner was a lot more meaningful than you know having a, a top quartile fund. Uh, even though performance is important, it's not ever guaranteed. I want to talk about the piece that you mentioned mm. there, dispensing advice. Mm. Because I think part of dispensing advice is also getting clients to take action. Yes. Like, are you seeing that being improved at all? And do you think that is a problem at the moment that we are over dispensing advice? So again, it's, it's obviously difficult to comment when there are so many practices we have the relationships that we do have and you know i said it earlier i think we deal with world-class quite literally world-class financial advisors and i think through their own development they as advisors are finding the right balance when dealing with clients it's not a case of and dispensing sounds very one directional um our clients engage in a two-way relationship. So I suppose the dispensing comes at the end of it all or during key moments and transitions where someone says, well, look, as an advisor, you've employed me as an expert, as you would a doctor or a plumber or a lawyer. Here's my view. Here's my advice. And I think a key role of the advisor, though, it's all very well to say, well, here's the advice. Now, unless that client is going to take your advice and go off and do it him or herself, that the advisor is part of that journey. So dispensing advice is probably the easy bit. It's actually then saying, right, I'm going to hold your hand through all of this. Let's go on this journey. It's not a case of giving directions and saying, well, I can get from here to point B. You turn left, go right, and over that bridge. You say, right, I'm going to walk this path with you, and I'm there by your side. So I think I think dispensing advice is critical, but the the holding your hand along the journey is probably, in my view, the overwhelming um, part of the, re the relationship that's going to determine how successful that particular client's strategy and the outcome of that strategy will be. I hear you. It's almost like the relationship starts after you've dispensed advice. Yeah. Let's now work towards implementing these things and get you Correct. on track. Whereas if you look at globally, a lot of the feedback that we're hearing is that clients don't implement advice that's given. Yet, I think we're seeing in South Africa that the advisor is still very much entwined or involved in implementing advice. Maybe it's because we come from a sales culture and maybe it's not such a bad thing. I think a lot goes into the way an advisor initially engages with a new client because you know, I, I'm going to feel comfortable. I go and buy a new car or a secondhand car. So much is about my experience initially when I walk into the showroom. So 
the chances are that if I feel comfortable where I'm about to make a purchase, and I hate to you know equate advice to a purchase, but establishing rapport and trust as quickly as possible will have a significant bearing on how to what extent that advice is implemented. So, you know, if if a client is able to sense that trust from an advisor very early on, my guess would be that the implementation rate would be high. But if it's a case of, okay, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to work with this advisor, the relationship doesn't really gel, it doesn't develop, then the chances are probably just as great that, you know, that advice strategy will be either just cut off at some point, people will deviate, they'll do their own thing, or they'll go and look for advice elsewhere. So so I think I think the, the ultimate implementation of advice is very dependent on how quickly the relationship is built and the degree of comfort that the advisor instills in in the client. And it, it, it's a hard thing to do because if I come and see an advisor and I have an objective to retire in 20 or 30 years time, when am I going to judge that advisor? Have I got enough money the day I walk out of my job? But I've got, then it's too late. So I have to look for markers along the way that tell me that this person is working in my best interest, um, that they're adding value. And I, and I mentioned the, the sort of the value proposition that sort of light bulb moment in dealing with my advisor. So I'm, I'm completely clear on what value he and his team add. Am I likely to deviate? Not. Am I going to stick to my strategy? Absolutely. Yeah. Am I experiencing that value? Correct. Because I'm not yet at retirement. Correct. Eden, I want to talk about financial planning relationships going bad. Yeah. You know, what happens in a scenario where a relationship with a client doesn't work out? I don't mean claims and, yeah. and complaints. I just mean, hey, this isn't a good fit anymore. Have you seen firms deal with that really well in terms of kind of offboarding or graduating a client? And, and if so, how? Yeah, look, so, so there are a couple of ways. If you're a multi-advisor business, you know, you've got to try and understand, is this a, uh, what would we call it, a disconnect between two individuals or is the disconnect between the client and the firm? So there is always the potential to shift the client to a, another advisor. So I've seen that happen. But what I've also seen is advisors saying to clients, look, this relationship isn't working. I think one also they need to just take a step back and say, well, why isn't the relationship working? Because if I'm seeking advice, I see value in the advice and the advisor is, you know, providing the right kind of advice and on the journey with me, unless there is some other personal issue, why would I want to deviate? So from, from that relationship. So I think where it isn't working is often where the client is questioning or second guessing or not able to understand the value of the advisor uh, in that relationship. So again, it's a two-way street. I don't want to place all the, let's call it the blame on the client, but there's definitely something that's amiss. And if if that cannot be resolved, um, obviously the client can say, look, I'm going to go elsewhere. But where advisors strongly feel that a relationship isn't working, um, I've seen advisors then, you know, say to the client, look, this isn't working. 
I would suggest, you know, I'm happy to hand over your file and all your information. I can recommend other advisors that may be a better fit or, you know, here's your file, if I can call it that electronically uh, on a flash disk or whatever, you know, it may make sense for you to go elsewhere. Okay, almost like marriage counseling. Correct. Saying, where's the problem? Correct. Can this be fixed? Correct. If not, you know, let's create a divorce process Correct. and, and Correct. a divorce agreement. But I go back to you. I mean, if you if you if you're asking your clients for feedback along the way, you know, perhaps those scenarios are less likely to happen. You know, so I think monitoring, assessing how things are going along a journey, rather than waiting for you know a big event to to sort of destroy a relationship you know keep getting the feedback yeah invest in that relationship and find your client's love language what is it that that they value and what is it that's important to that person not necessarily uh, a general client yeah so so i think i think the the key here is that advisors you're allowed to deal with clients you like so i mean why not just deal with people you like dealing with um and sure i suppose when you're building a business you are under more pressure to you know bring clients on board because they've got to pay the bills so you do a lot of advisors i've dealt with end up with these legacy clients that aren't ideal for them um and you know you need to work around that but i think that you know Attract clients that you feel you would enjoy dealing with and attract clients or take on clients that are, are there to follow your advice. And I don't mean blindly, they shouldn't question and, and so on, but you will, as an advisor, save yourself a lot of frustration and time if you, if you, you know, engage with clients that suit your proposition. Yeah, if there's so much friction, yeah. then it's probably a sign that this relationship Correct. Is not working out well that's the thing you know and um, I think that there are so many potential clients out there that need advice and that want advice that to be working with clients that are consuming time and energy um, yeah it, it, it doesn't make sense it and part of the discussion that we've had and things that that has come up quite often is the cultures that are mm. created within firms like, are there any great stories that comes to mind of, of really cultures where inclusivity and, and new ideas are created, uh, specifically in South Africa? So, I suppose there are two angles to this. Um, I think the one thing is that, you know, with COVID, we've had very little time to network and get together. I miss that so much, just, you know, talking to industry colleagues and, and advisors out there. But I think that... And I've seen it in our firm where we've had people join the firm during COVID, some of them their first job. Now, integrating people into a business remotely when everyone's working at home is not conducive to, I suppose, a sound integration and in the development of culture. So I think that, you know, if you go pre-COVID and the sort of COVID 18 months or two years, you you notice a very stark difference um, in the way cultures and firms behave. So firms that focus 
or place a great deal of focus on their internal culture. And it's, it's obviously, again, difficult for me to talk about individual advice firms because I'm not in them all the time and I'm not necessarily an employee of an advice firm. But if I take our business, one of the, the core components to our success and longevity and I suppose for want of a better word, the vibe that exists within our business is this focus on culture and values. So there's an internal focus and, and, I, and I would guess that successful firms place a significant emphasis on internal culture and values. I mean, there's an interesting one, um, a presentation, particular audience and some feedback was passed uh, back to me about this and it was a 10 line you know sort of email but the opening line was these are people I could do business with and that was sort of a wow moment for me because that's what you need to I suppose that's one of the tests are these people I could work with are these people that I could do business with am I, be, am I proud to be part of this team and our clients proud to be associated with a particular business. So culture is a, oh, it is a, a meaningful component um, that should be focused on when building a business. And it's not something that you can say, well, I now have the perfect culture, the perfect value system, it's done, I can tick that off. It's something that you need to work on consistently. And I think many firms that I've dealt with have got that right. They're, they've they've placed just as much emphasis on, let's call it the financial planning end-to-end process, as they have on their internal culture values and and relationships. It strikes me that as a professional industry that's so focused on you know, the numbers and deriving alpha and investment portfolios that a lot of what we've been talking about isn't tangible and we can't necessarily m- measure it in the specific, you know, percentages or, or basis points. And then I'd love to know for financial planners starting out, maybe setting up their own firm, like what's the number one advice that you would give to them today? Like, <laughs> Wow, sure. That's a, that's a hard one and it's easy because I sit outside it. But I think that the first thing is if you're starting with a, a blank slate and I suppose the, the point is day one, you need to start thinking about getting clients and earning money. So, so let's just go, this is the perfect world. Get your processes perfectly sorted out. And when I say perfectly, processes are never perfect. They evolve and you improve all the time. But, but get your structure um, correct, how you would like to operate. And if you are entering the industry as a young graduate, the chances are there is so much that you don't know. So connected to that would be the, I suppose the benefit of linking up with people who've got it right. And, you know, I, I've been very privileged to witness how advisors are so willing to share. You get the sense, well, I've got this business, I've got my clients, I'm going to keep this close to my chest. That's been the complete opposite of what I've experienced. So for any young advisor, tap into what people have achieved. And some people have achieved significant gains in growing businesses. Others are on the journey and they're constantly improving. But I think the point is there's such a broad network out there. There's such a deep knowledge base out there. There are so many people that could help young advisors not make the same mistakes 
And it's okay to make mistakes, but not make the same mistakes. So fast track that growth, fast track that efficiency. And I think the other thing, and I, you had someone on your uh, podcast uh, a while back, I think it was Gugu Sadaki, um, and she mentioned that it had taken much longer than she expected to get to the point that she's at. And I think that's the other thing. You need to work hard and you need to have patience. Um, but but find mentors, find people. I mean, you've got a list of wonderful mentors in the previous, I don't know, twenty odd episodes that that, uh, that 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 have aired. And as I said, they are willing to share, and they're willing to share without needing anything in return. So yeah, so it's a very long winded way of saying get your structure right, but make use of the wealth of knowledge that is out there because advisors are willing to share. Thank you, Ed, and I can, I can second that. And you also have the gift of being able to connect like-minded people. So it takes facilitator to, yeah. to, to be that catalyst and actually start that process. And, you know, I want to invite any young financial planner joining this industry, be it in their own firm mm. or just working for business, to start engaging and Correct. saying, hey, like, how do we move this industry forward? And this shows all about the positive evolution of financial planning. And you've been a really big role, you know, in our business and in, in my development. Uh, before our call, we picked up books that you lent me almost nine years ago from Mitch Anthony, um, which has been wonderful. And, you know, we still see the same type of content. These things aren't necessarily new. No. It's investing in the relationship, building culture, treating your clients right, communicating with them. Is there anything that you'd like to add, Eden, that we might have missed or things that you know, people aren't talking about that we should be talking about. Look, Louis, I think I think the thing for me personally is seeing people succeed. And you know, I I get such a kick out of people achieving things. And you know, as we spoke about sharing knowledge, sharing experience, um, I think there is so much more we can do. I know as a business that's something we focusing on. Um globally is i mean we've called them advisor forums where we get people together online hopefully a bit more you know in person in future and say look here's a particular issue that is relevant to a particular group of advisors or it's an area in the industry or the profession that has not been solved um yeah sure they're conferences and they're bigger groups but but creating little focus groups, um, whether advisors are doing that independently or whether it's being facilitated by other institutions or bodies, spend time, and, and they don't all have to be advisors. I know so many people that have such a huge role to play on, and I almost want to say on the periphery, and I, and I don't want to mention a whole host of people, you engage with many of them, that add value to advisors, bring them in saying, look, I'm trying to solve this problem. Eden, do you know anyone? Louis, do you know anyone? And I go, well, there's this provider. And why don't you get a few other advisors around the table who may be, you know, dealing with the same issues? And let's try and solve this together. So I think, I think, I think working together with your, you know, profession colleagues is something that, that shouldn't be underestimated. And I go back to the feedback from clients, you know, build that in, in conjunction with how you work. Um, and yeah, as I said, for me, and the other thing, sorry, celebrate successes, however insignificant they may seem, 
celebrate successes and look back. I mean, something that I was taught many years ago, not that I've done it every year, but on the 1st of January, write down four or five key things, perhaps where you live, what your salary is, what your business AUM is, how many clients you have, and just open that envelope every year and update it and watch your progress. Don't become despondent. You know, it's a it's a journey growing a business, but the work that advisors do is some of the most valuable. I know doctors and healthcare professionals are critical, but yo, I cannot emphasize enough how valuable advisors are to the community. And I think people like yourself and many others globally are changing that perception and have changed that perception of what true advice is about and what quality world-class advisors are about. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably, you know, my big thing is, and we all here to help. I will gladly share. I know you had Dirk Krinefeld on, on a show. He's got a little group that he chats to. I could mention so many. Um, uh, Kim Portrait is busy working with, you know, advisors within their business. So there's so many little, I suppose, nodes of excellence and sharing and development that, that are happening. And I think these young advisors are going to change, you know, this, this profession over the next 10 or 20 years. And there's some old dogs and old bullets like ourselves who are very happy to share all the good and the bad. The portfolio metrics elder. <laughs> yeah. Eden, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Your wealth of knowledge and your passion for financial planning really shines through. For people that want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So um, it's quite funny when I listen to this and people go on the Twitter. I'm not, a, I'm not big on Twitter, but I'm available on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest. And then it would probably be completely wrong of me not to say I'm actually on Facebook. I don't know if anybody you know, who's on Facebook has mentioned Facebook, Facebook but, but, but I'm, I'm old enough to be on Facebook. But yeah, so, so I'm definitely on LinkedIn. And then um, my email address, if they need to get hold of me, is quite simply my name, dot surname, edin.com kift at portfoliometrics.com so happy to chat to to anyone locally or, or internationally and uh, um, I'd, I'd happily share further information on any of the, the aspects that, that we've spoken about brilliant we'll add your contact details in the show notes Eden once again thank you so much for being a sponsor and being here today to represent Portfolio Metrics. Thanks, Louis. I mean, it's been a real honor, as I said, and thanks for the beer. And, you know, at Portfolio Metrics, along with, you know, the two other sponsors, we are incredibly proud to be part of this. Um, thank you for the opportunity and to XY for the opportunity of, of being a sponsor. It's, it's, it's been fabulous and I love listening to all the podcasts. Thank you. 